Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Awesome songs point to Christ, Christ child. Um, hey, there is no other hope in anything other than the finished work of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why Christmas means so much to me, and I hope does to you. Without Christmas and ultimately without Easter, we have absolutely nothing. So I'm so thankful, so thankful tonight as we sing those hymns, the reality of the truth that those hymns represent, the truth that is unchanging, the truth that stands the test of time and day that will guide us and guard us as we enter eternity and, and stand before the mercy seat as followers of Christ, not the great white, great white throne of judgments for those who reject the gift of salvation. So that's why tonight I pray you're passionate about sharing the good news because there are droves of people, uh, over 76% of people in Bedford County on any given Sundays are not in, in, in worship. Over. So that tells you that less than, 70, uh, less than 25% of people in Bedford County are followers of Christ. If that's not staggering or alarming, I don't know what to tell you because you go up to the northern cities, the percentage is much higher, not of attenders, of the lack thereof. So we got a lot of work to do. And I'm thankful, though, that God's commissioned us. He's commanded us. The Great Commission actually means great commandment. He's commanded us to go ye therefore and make disciples. And the obedience part, not the great omission, it's the great commission. Teaching them everything I have commanded you. And that right there, brothers and sisters, is hope. And that is love. If, they, if you don't love the person that lives uh, next door to you or the person that you stand in front of enough to tell them about Jesus, and I don't want to have, I don't tell you. The love of most, Scripture says, in the end times will grow cold, and that is either an issue, or maybe it's an issue that you've not had a genuine encounter with the Father yourself. Uh, I pray that's not the case. I pray if tonight you haven't been an ambassador for the kingdom, you've not been the hands and feet of Jesus, it's because you've been disobedient, but tonight we have the ability to turn that around. We're still living, we're still breathing, and we have people tonight that are still living and breathing that are in our sphere of influence, and we need to reflect God's glory and share what God has done in our life. I don't think there's a person in here that if you're honest with yourself and step back, that a reflective, introspective look could not say, God has been good to me. God has been faithful to me. So I, I hope that you relish in those. Uh, I continually reflect, especially when I'm driving, thinking about the things that God's done and the blessings, even in driving a car and it has heat in it. And getting in the car in the morning when you let it warm up and it's warm, I, I just, I praise God for that because we are so spoiled. You know, when your water goes out, you might be thankful for it for a week or two, but do what I do. I literally, every time I get up in the morning and turn the fall, I, I thank God for the water. I thank God for the heated water. First for the water, then the heated water. And each one of those things I walk through the house and do in the morning, I just thank God for it. Because I realize that they're gifts from Him. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, from the Lord of love that does not change like shifting shadows. So that, to me, tells me that every good thing in my life right now is a direct result of the blessing of God. And God forbid that I take that for granted and God have to once again, like He did many years ago, take everything from me so that I would learn 
to have the life and the heart of thanksgiving and realizing what a gift everything was. So I encourage you in that tonight. Turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, Exodus chapter 12. We're going through our typology still. Uh, we're going to be doing that for a good bit of 2024. Uh, tonight, we are going to look at a, a story we all know about. It's the Israelites when they're on the, the end part of the captivity. God has already commissioned Moses. God has already raised Moses up. And we're at the place where all of the, the miracles have been done, the frogs and the flies and the gnats and the darkness and the blood. And God had done all these different things to try to get Pharaoh to let the people go. And as a matter of fact, it gets to the point where God then begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. It's an interesting dynamic in that if you ever read it, you realize in the first few, Pharaoh hardens his heart. But then actually you notice in the narrative, it says from about halfway on or less, it says then God hardened his heart. Interesting wording, interesting story, but tonight we're going to look, the title of the message is The Passover Lamb. And what we're going to do tonight is see the typology between Christ and the blood on the doorposts, the Passover. What, what, what passed over? The death angel. What would we deal with if you and I stand at the great white throne of judgment? The death angel. We are going to be eternally dead, separated from God for all eternity. What is that? Is that God sitting back going, man, I just want to throw everybody in there I can? No. God merely gives mankind his desire to be separated from him. Hell is the absence of God, the absence of every good and perfect gift. God has given us free will and therefore... The most important thing that we'll ever do is recognize that in our free will, we can do one of two things. We can do what Jimmy Elliott said. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep, giving this life to Christ, serving him, honoring him, glorifying him. To what? Gain what you cannot lose. What do disciples of Christ that are obedient want to do? They want a fellowship. With who? Other believers. They love the fellowship of believers. What do wolves in sheep's clothing do? They're continually critical of the body of Christ, critical of all the things of the Lord, never engaging in the work of the Lord and the work of the Father, always critical of those, always looking to see what's wrong with any and everything. What do obedient followers of Christ do? They're engaged in the work. They're serving, they're recognizing that the extension of the gift of salvation and the blessings of God, that God has called us to be Timothy, Barnabases, and all of these different things with the hands and feet of Christ, we're to be actively engaged. So obedient believers are doing what? The work of the Father. They are the hands and feet. They're Matthew chapter 25. Whatever you did, what? To the least of these you did unto me. He turns the goats. What was the issue, the issue with the goats? Oh, there was all of those needs that need to be met. But guess what? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. When, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you naked? When were you sick? When were you in prison? Goats never see the need in the first place because they're so self-focused on themselves that they fail to see the need. The difference in sheep and the goats is the difference in the great white throne of judgment as a goat or the bema seat, the mercy seat of Christ. We're going to see tonight how the death angel passed over passed over the same picture of the Bema seat, the propitiation, the payment, the atonement was made, and therefore the death angel passed over those who had been 
the blood had been placed on the doorpost. We're going to see the typology, though, and how that's a picture of Christ. Beautiful picture of Christ. Uh, we're going to continue to do that. I think it's important. I think it, I hope it's growing you. I've heard a lot of really encouraging feedback in it. We're going to look at verses uh, 21 through 23 tonight of chapter 12. But what I hope tonight challenges you to do, again, dig deeper. We cannot in any way exhaustively cover this story. Get in the stories and dig at the richness of God's word, the rich blessing, the treasure of God's word. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God. Amen? Don't just hear what you hear and then just go on about your business. Be the Bereans church. What the Bereans do, they would leave, they would go home and they would search the scriptures to make sure that what they heard was accurate and true, but they would also dig in the word. They had a passion for the word. They had a passion for God's word, and I hope that you have that. Uh, I'll have the new read through the Bible cards. I'm, matter of fact, I hope you appreciate those, and I'm, I say this with all sincerity. I spent hours today. This is not something that I just get online and know. I actually do this, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of work. So I want to challenge any of you, if nothing else, Brother Jonathan, I want to read through the Bible because you spent so much time reading or working on the read through the Bible card. I don't care what your motivation is. God's going to do the work. Amen. If I can who do you into reading the Bible, I will take it lock, stock, and barrel. Because you know what will happen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God, and God's word doesn't return void. So I don't care what your motivation is. When you start doing it, it will change your life. So again, I'll have those hopefully, um, if I don't have them this Sunday, I should have them this Sunday. If not, I'll have them the next Sunday. But I want to encourage you, whatever plan you use, I make these, uh, it's a re read through the Bible chronologically, the one you get from me. It actually goes in the actual order that scripture occurred in history. So that's one of the things, if you want to read it from cover to cover a different way, that's fine. doesn't matter to me. As long as you're reading God's word, that's what matters to me more than anything. I hope you found Exodus chapter 12. Again, we're going to look at verses 21 through 23. And if you're physically able, let's stand out of reverence tonight for the reading of God's word. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood, that is in the basin, and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning, when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. Father, thank you. Lord, tonight, for this rich treasure, God, of your word, the privilege we have to read, to study, to encourage, to challenge, to rebuke, whatever your word needs to do, Father, you have your way amongst us. Lord, let your spirit move in our hearts. Lord, guard this building, these grounds with your protective angels. Purge anything, any thoughts, actions, words, intentions that would not bring glory and honor to you. Change us, cleanse us, wash us through your word. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Beautiful picture right where we're at in the story. We are at the, the crowning achievement, spiritually speaking, of watching. Do not make me engage you tonight in here, young man. I will not go well for you. Sorry about that. 
I love the word, and the word just uh, encourages me to, no matter what, a lot of times they think old Pops ain't paying attention. Pops has ADD. Pops has to stay focused, and it's not, it's not easy when you're dealing with that. But in verse 21, listen again real quick. Then Moses summons all the elders of Israel, says to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families. Slaughter the Passover animal. We're going to stop right there. First thing tonight is Jesus became our Passover lamb. Jesus paid a price, a sacrifice. With this lamb that was slaughtered, what was indicative about that in essence to why they were able to be passed over? Bloodshed. Bloodshed. Don't ever forget the significance of bloodshed. Why is the bloodshed significance? Because life is in the blood. Today, I went and got uh, my recertification for my basic life support for medical personnel. It's one of the things that I've never heard the instructor put it this way. A lot of times we think that when somebody needs CPR, why are we doing compressions? Well, we think we're doing compressions so that oxygen gets pushed through, their, through the system, right? And keeps their organs perfused. It's actually not true. We're actually pushing red blood cells. What happens to be hitchhiking on red blood cells? Oxygen. So it's imperative not to push oxygen through the blood. It's no, through the system. It is imperative that blood moves through the system because if you keep that heart beating, it perfuses the organs, keeps the heart going, and there's a likelihood that you can be brought back. But see, whenever that ceases to occur, death occurs. That was what was significant in this because death had to occur in those animals. It had to occur because there was no way that you could pour out the lifeblood and continue to live. But that was the significant part of this was death. And then ultimately, as you see this, though, Jesus Christ became the eternal high priest. He became the sacrificial lamb. He laid his life down. Remember, you might have had an animal that was blemished and spotless, but guess what? It was still tainted by the sinful world and the nature, right, that we are consumed with, that we were born with. Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say that. That's a vitally important part of that. Somebody wants to say that Jesus Christ was conceived in a normal way. You can fight with it. Those are fighting words. Those are truths that are undeniable, that Jesus is the virgin-born child of God conceived by the Holy Spirit beyond a shadow of a doubt. The importance of that is he did not have a sin nature, and that's the only way that Jesus Christ was able to have a sinless nature because he lacked the Father's DNA. And friends, that is where each and every one of us obtained our sin nature. In Adam, all were made sinners. In Christ, we're all made righteous. Isn't that interesting? We are seeing right now, though, a foreshadowing. We're seeing a picture of what Jesus would do. What did Jesus do? You think about the heart. You think about the doorway of us, our lives. Christ puts the blood, the blood of Christ, on the doorposts of our hearts. He cleanses our hearts. What does he do? It allows the wrath of God, us to be shielded from the wrath of God. Why? Because the payment had been made. The same way the death angel was able to pass over the Israelites' houses because the payment had been made. 
Now, it wasn't a permanent payment, was it? It wasn't a permanent atonement we feel all throughout the Old Testament. These are temporarily, we call it temporarily satisfying God's wrath. But it also points to what was going to come. It's so neat, I think. It's, it's fascinating to me. Has anybody studied much about this? If nothing else, just looked at it in, in these typologies, these pictures of Christ. And you're gonna, we're gonna, the more you see, the more you're going to go, wow, I've never even seen that if you've not done much. I studied a lot of this in seminary, and it, to me, the more we looked at it, the more we studied it, the more I was blown away. God is literally, from the time of the Garden of Eden, saying, hey, he's coming. He's on the way. Your salvation, your redemption draweth nigh, as the King James says. And yet today, that same thing is being shouted from Scripture in end-time eschatology. I don't care if you think it's going to happen in a year or two. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it's a thousand years. A day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. I'm not worried about when Christ is coming back. He's coming back. It might be tomorrow, so I'm going to live like he's coming back tomorrow. And if he doesn't, then it's not going to be a surprise to me if he does come back. So let's live in the fields, white under harvest, laboring for the kingdom, doing what we're supposed to be doing. Guess what? The blood's on the doorpost. You've got the most important thing taken care of. Get busy doing what? Manifesting the professed statement you have in your heart by the walk that you have and the life that you live. That'll testify to who you are. And you know what you won't have to do? You won't have to go running around looking for God to pat you on the back or trying to manufacture things that the world gets out there and gives you the attaboys that you're desiring from the world. Don't worry about that stuff. God will encourage you in the world. He does me on a daily basis just about. God encourages me day in and day out. Don't worry about trying to do things with the wrong motives so people say, man, you really got it going on. Look at you. That does nothing. All that does is blow your head up and give you a sense of self-inflated importance, and that does zero for the kingdom. And every time you take those pats on the back and say, well, I'm just doing my best, what are you doing? You're taking what is rightfully his. The Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right's doing. So what does that mean? Do your good works not so that the world sees and the world knows and the world does. You do it so that God sees. God will honor. God will bless you beyond a shot exponentially with multipliers. Focus on the main thing being the main thing. What is that? God's create. What is the art? We, are, we have been designed and created to glorify God and do his good pleasure, his, his will. That's what our lives are supposed to be. Now, that, that doesn't sound uh, right, real expansive and extensive, does it? To me, it does. I'm a doulos, a slave to Christ. I don't know about you, but that's an exciting commission if you ask me. But you know what? Even more so is like I've told you, I'm so thankful that God established the boundaries and I don't have any question tonight what sacrifice had. It's, it's done. I don't have to worry tonight the confines of God's blessing being on my life and not knowing where I should go, what I should do, and how I should behave. He has given us everything we need to know in, in, in establishing every single thing that we need to learn, every boundary, every gate, every mountain, in every cave, spiritually speaking, God has given us complete insight. We can't say we don't know what to do. If we're saying we don't know what to do tonight, I promise you, you're not in God's word. 
because God's word unequivocally, according to Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, he says, trust in him with what? All of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will, W-I-L-L, direct your paths. Or some versions say, make your paths straight. Now, if God hadn't directed your paths, I would just assure you it's not a God problem. I assure you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's another one I'll fight with you on. Either you hadn't waited on the Lord, or there may be something hindering God's ability to make your path straight, not just do this, step back, pun again. Meaning, step back, reassess, do an introverted look at the self, introspective, what's going on inside, what God could be hindering. Maybe it's not a no, but maybe it's a not now. Maybe God is waiting on you. Those that wait on the Lord, we know what Isaiah says, don't we? Walk, not grow weary, run and not grow faint. We know what God's word says, so we have to wait on the Lord. The problem is we got a waiting problem because we have a fast food society that, that believes that everything is now, 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 me, 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 me. I see that actually sickingly in our society, just sickens me like nothing else. The childish three-year-old behavior that I see out of grown adults who can't wait for something, go into Walmart, when I, or not Walmart, I didn't even have it back then, Montgomery Wars and every other story back in the early 80s, beating their brains in these women were. I remember looking at the videos as a child and I was absolutely stunned because there weren't enough Cabbage Patch dolls for these mothers and they're beating each other. Half, people got killed. I remember as a child saying, we're in trouble. And I didn't even have a clue what I was saying. But I said, this is not good. What does that all have to do with? Me, 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 I, I, I. It has to do with driving in the left lane. By the way, if you're a left lane driver, you are breaking the law. Get me on a soapbox. I'll start on you. If you ride down the road in the left lane and you stay in the left lane, you are breaking Tennessee state law. And I hope they get you. Because you know what it's doing? It's causing accidents. And it's causing people to go into states of rage. You know why? It is not your responsibility to police another person that doesn't want to do the speed limit. Because I know what people do. I'm going the speed limit. I, I don't know what their problem is. Get over. the. What does it say? Slower traffic. Keep right. Does anybody, know that, does anybody not know that that was a law in Tennessee? Anybody? Honestly, you be honest. If you didn't know that tonight, you just learned something. That's a law. But you know what the problem is? 9% of the people going down the interstates right now, evidently, they don't know it's a law. They should be here tonight. But it's law. And see, the thing about law is, we, what do we know in this? The Passover lamb. That was a law. When God said that, it was a law. And if you didn't put the Passover blood on your doorposts, I'm sorry, it's over for you. The death angel was coming, and who was going to die? The oldest child. Going down, guaranteed. There was wailing in Egypt because they were not under the covenantal promise of God. What are the Israelites? They had to be obedient to it. You might think, well, I'm an, I'm an Israelite. I'm an Israelite. I, you know, I'm, I'm covered under the... No, no. You know what would have happened? Your, your child would have died. 
beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because the blood had to be applied. And I want to tell you tonight, I can't tell you the number of people that sit in churches week in and week out that the blood hadn't been applied. The concepts there, the principles are there, the whole entire effectual truth of God's word stands at the ready to redeem and to save them and they believe that the knowledge of the blood's application is sufficient for salvation. And I want to encourage you tonight in the truth, not the belief system that you may have, and I don't care who's told you this. You must recognize, as I said again Sunday, the division that was created through the sin in the Garden of Eden that broke fellowship. We were in fellowship with God in the Garden the fellowship was broken. The moment sin was invited in, God could no longer dwell with man. Separation. This chasm that occurred as a result of that is called hell. It is the absence, the separation, the deprivation from anything good and perfect. It is the absolute total opposite of God. That is what hell is. It is God giving, merely giving mankind his desire and his will. It is God literally showing the greatest act of love he could ever do in all of time and creation in giving a man or a woman what they have desired, separation from him. Could you imagine somebody who didn't want to honor Christ, didn't want to, didn't want to live their life to Christ Jesus, didn't want to live for the Lord? And God says, you're coming to heaven whether you want to come or not. You know what that is? That's God violating someone's will. God doesn't violate your or my will. That is why one day in hell, the reminder and the understanding of the weight of their personal responsibility, I hear people mock God, mock Jesus, make explicit jokes about God, righteousness, truth, and everything, laugh at us, do everything. Can you imagine the instantaneous moment your heart stops? Some um, some people believe it's up to nine minutes that you have conscious thoughts. <laughs> you better know Jesus. That's all I'm telling you. Take that home and think about it a little while. Can you imagine after you no longer can comprehend all you can do is just sit there and go, uh-oh, what's next? And you played around with all this Jesus stuff, didn't think it was real, thought the pastor was just a little overboard, a little too religious, a little too spiritual, he needed to lighten up. No, it's not the time. This is a time when, yea, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What? For thou art with me. I can't imagine going through that process without the power, the work of God, the salvation of God, but most importantly, the peace of God. See, that's what you had when the doorposts had the blood on it. That's the beauty tonight of walking with Christ is... Perfect love casts out all fear. See, that's the promise of God we have tonight. That's the truth of God's word. And see, the second thing in, in verse 22, listen. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood as the basin, brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood of the basin. None of you may go out of the door of his house until morning. So God gives this prescription. God tells them what to use, tells them how to do it. What did I just say a second ago? You can believe, you can think, you can do what you want to do. You can go outside and grab a cedar instead of a hyssop, and you can just throw it on the front of the house, right? 
You can try to enter the sheep pen through another door. You can try to jump over the wall. The Father knows. The Father knows if you're playing games with yourself in your true transformation as a follower of Christ. You can convince, do you know that you can convince yourself you're a Christian and go to hell still? You know this? I hope you know this because I did it. And thank God that I didn't end up dead because I would have been dead, lost, and without hope. Who in the world wants to believe that you, your wife, your husband, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, son, daughter is going to go to hell? Nobody wants to believe it. I've seen parents that had children that were the biggest reprobates that had ever been had two legs stuck on them. Oh, I'm so glad they're in a better place. I remember sitting at the back ready to puke absolutely ready to vomit because in my mind I went what in the world is this person doing giving all these children in this place this false hope that they can live like that person act like that person not uh, care in the world for anything spiritual and then we can just will them into heaven church I'm a realist I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings well maybe you need to go somewhere else I don't want to play games here church I don't have time to play games and the gospel doesn't play games. It is truth. And what the beauty of truth is, is that it calls us to a transforming work of God and a transformed life. If you don't like that, I ask you, why are you here? They didn't have time for games. They didn't have time for games. There was a time frame. There was a zero hour what is that? It's like a clock winding down. God told them, tonight, the death angel's coming. And I want to tell you tonight, church, not one of us in this building knows that the death angel visits tonight. Meaning, the Bible says our days have been ordained before the foundations of the world. One night, one day, we will die. Meaning the death angel's coming. We are going to breathe last breath. My question to you is, what's going to happen? Is the blood post, or do you love the principle and the concept of it? But the hyssop's never been dipped in the bowl. And the anointing, power of the blood of Jesus Christ has never been applied to your life, your heart. Somebody has to pay, church. It's not my word. It's not my thoughts. It's truth. That's why I tell you, get in God's word. You have no thirst to be in the body of believers. You have no thirst to, to be in the fellowship. You have no thirst to genuinely dwell in the presence of God. I assure you, you need to search deep because something's wrong. You've got no desire to get in the presence of God. I challenge you to step back, do what Paul says, examine yourselves. Because I know one thing, I desire to be in my my King, my Lord, my God's presence. I am delighted in it. I delight in being in his presence. The very thought delights me. Good, bad, or indifferent. Sometimes it's harder to get in his presence than others. Doesn't make you any less spiritual at those times. Matter of fact, it shows you the Job, in a sense, mentality when things are not going well, but you, though you slay me, God, yet I will trust you. You get in God's presence sometimes 
maybe angry. Nothing wrong with that. I encourage you to get in his presence, stay in his presence, dwell in his presence. Because long after everyone else has failed you, he never will. When you bury your wife, when you bury your husband apart from you having what I've seen happen where a husband and wife die in a wreck together. I knew one in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the wife died on a Monday. The husband was dead by Tuesday afternoon, didn't even take his own life. They've been together 65 or 70 years, and both of them died within 24 hours. It's a powerful thing. But apart from that, one of them's going home early, earlier than the other. What happens when everything you put your stock in, you loved your spouse more than you loved the Lord, what's going to happen? Everything's going to come a tumbling down. It's like building your house on the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house on the sand. Man built his house upon the sand. The rains came tumbling down. Rains came down, floods came up. Rains came down, floods came up. Rains came down, floods came up, and the house on the sand went crash. You think I haven't seen people that are serious senior saints suffering from immense depression in my lifetime? You got another thing coming. You know what I've also seen? I've also seen senior saints that put their hope in nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know what I've watched? Joy unspeakable. Had a dear friend of mine uh, in another state. Husband died not 120 days ago, just got married this past two weeks ago. Praise God. The husband of the person she married, his wife passed away just a couple years ago. Somebody said, oh, it's too soon. You be quiet. Don't get me started. I will tear you up. Don't you tell somebody when the right time is for them. They've both been what the scripture says, released from their covenant. Leave them alone. It's none of your business in the first place. They're doing the right thing. They want to get married. They're senior saints. And both of them are literally just about to cross the finish line. Let them live their life in peace. Leave them alone. Don't let your judgmental attitude cause somebody else to not live at peace. Shame on you. And I mean that. And I say that with all sincerity. You are not the police of someone else who's been freed from the covenant of marriage through a death to tell them when it's right for them to have a relationship. I think it's awesome when people love each other and beautiful when followers of Christ love each other. What a blessing and having relationships that God's given us this privilege to have. Amen? See, we try to tell God how things should be. We try to tell God, we're going to tell each other what the timing should be on things. Get out of here. Go home. Listen, number two, the blood of Jesus Christ must be on the doorpost for hearts to be saved. That's, that's truth tonight. You can choose to marry if something happens to your spouse. You can choose not to. You can choose a timing, but you can't choose this. And you don't choose this timing. Timing for that is now. Because there's no second chances. The Israelites found that out. And if anybody didn't heed that wisdom, guess what happened? The death angel visited their house and took the oldest child. Guess what? Just because you don't believe it doesn't change the truth of it. You have no fellowship, desire to fellowship. You have no desire to be a part of the ministries and the missions of the, the ready? Church universal. We're just part of the church universal. 
you don't have any desire to be engaged and involved, I would challenge you to check your heart. Because if you really believe that you can live a life of self-focused disobedience, you better read Matthew chapter 25 is all I tell you. Scripture says many will come on that day, and that's not Matthew 25, but Matthew uh, close to 7. Many will come on that day, and did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead? He will tell them plainly, depart from me, I never knew you. Hmm. But don't think for a moment just because you have knowledge that the blood's on the doorpost. And then third, uh, verse 23, and we'll be finishing up. Then when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, he will pass over the door, not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. Third and final thing tonight, if Christ's blood does not cover us, the great white throne of judgment awaits. I want to tell you something. Back when I had meningitis, I got sick, 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 sick. This happened in 2000 and... Seven, I think it was. August 29th, if I remember correctly. 2007. I've never been so sick in my life. I remember the misery. I physically was in such misery. I, I, I wanted to die. I wanted to die so bad. It was awful. And I often think back to that because they had my, if I remember correctly, they had my, got my, I was in a, I was in one of those pressurized rooms at Vanderbilt in ICU, neuro ICU, so that no air came out of it. It was a zero pressure room ran through the filter systems, and they had that had own air conditioning system, got it down to 55 degrees in there, and I was on fire, burning up. Everybody else was freezing cold. But I remember everything in me, including my brain, was being attacked, and when your brain's being attacked, there's, no, there's just no words for it. Seriously high fever, it was just terrible. But I remember the misery. Misery, it was absolute misery. And as I think back and reflect on that, I could not, I wanted to jump out of my skin. And as I think about a place called hell, I can't imagine. I, I honestly can't fathom it. See, we wake up every day with the hope that today can be different. If you've had a tough time, let's just say you had a year like we've had this past year, we have the hope that in time, God will heal hearts we have the the hope that i don't most likely have to worry about that phone call again maybe but the likelihood of it decreases but i want you to understand something hell doesn't have day or night hell has no offer of hope ever it is the same horrifying reality 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a place where there's no more time. You don't wake up and you don't go to sleep. You're in a body that doesn't need sleep anymore. You're in a body that doesn't need water to survive anymore. You don't need oxygen to survive anymore. You don't get to get rid of CO2. You don't do anything because your body won't die. By the way, you feel perfectly. You know that we don't feel perfectly where I, where I hurt my hand last year, my finger, I had to cut all that off. It's still tingly, it still don't feel right. It's not right. In hell, everything feels, per we don't even feel perfectly right now. We don't use but a little bit of our brain, right? 
So we can't even comprehend a lot of things that are going on in our body and feelings and things because our brains, we use so little of it. You know, we use all of it in hell. We feel perfectly. We smell perfectly. We breathe perfectly. We're in a body that cannot and will not die in a place that's inhospitable to life because remember, apart from God is the absence of everything good and perfect. You don't understand what you just did. You just breathed in one of God's perfect gifts. Anybody ever been sick where you couldn't stop vomiting? You ever thought, I'm going to choke to death because I can't breathe? Imagine having, let's just say, COPD, the feeling of that because you can't breathe. You're in a place where there's no ability to breathe in an uncontrolled state of vomiting, but also in an uncontrolled state <gasps> of gasping for air because there's no air to be had. But the bad part is your body can't die. Let me just tell you, I don't think they make enough medicine if I had to endure five minutes of that in this life. I don't think they make enough medicine that could allay the anxiety that I would experience. This is right now in a body that's flawed. This is why I'm so passionate about what I do. Because it's real. It's real. And do you know that people we know and love dearly will go there? That's even harder. Because not everybody in here, everybody we've known, is a follower of Christ. We might want to believe that. But every one of us, most likely, has one or more people in our sphere of influence, in our families, that apart from a divine work of God, they are going to spend their eternity separated from God. Why do you think it's so important for us to be on target, on point? Because we want to do everything in our power to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's why that's so important. Because we can get boldly in God's presence and intercede for those people that you are praying for right now. That God will divinely intervene in their lives and bring them the saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you tonight, get off the sidelines. Quit messing around. Quit messing around with church. Quit messing around with religion and spirituality. I say that to people online too. Quit messing around and get in the game. Get serious about this thing you're professing. Get serious about getting in the Bible. Quit making excuses to your wife, to your husband, about why you're not doing what you should do. Quit lying to yourself about what you think is going to be okay and it's not going to be. Quit doing it. You can lie yourself straight to hell. And by the way, I'm saying this tonight because I don't want your blood on my hands. God have mercy if it was. I say this tonight because it's the truth of God's word. Without the blood on the doorpost, the picture of Christ we're seeing tonight, not one single person in this room will stand before the Bema seat because it must be applied. The blood of Christ Jesus. For we understood we're a sinner in need of a Savior separated from God 
God through the Spirit's power. Scripture says no one comes to Father unless the Holy Spirit enables them. We have to see ourselves for what we are. Sinners in need of a Savior. How can anyone pray to receive Christ to be saved when you don't even recognize you're lost? That's that imperative nature of recognizing when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you recognized you were separated from God. Therefore, the prayer of salvation was the understanding of your need to be reconciled to God. And that only happened through Jesus Christ. Not because someone said, you're going to go to hell if you die. Why would you pray? Oh, I'm, what, what's, what's your whole entire premise? If you're just praying so you don't go to hell, wait a second. That's a really bad motivation. Amen? How about the fact of understanding that we are separated from God and your number one desire is to be reconciled to the God that created you? The byproduct is, is that we don't spend our eternity in a place we know as hell. That is just the icing on the cake, not the main motivator. My motivator, September 29th of 2004, was what? To be reconciled with God, to have fellowship with the one that created me, to be made whole. I wanted to live. And tonight, I ask you, are you dying to live or you living to die? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ whose blood has been applied to the doorposts? The blood of Jesus Christ, substitutionary atonement. Have you been reconciled to God, restored in fellowship with God? I ask you to ask yourself that in the heart of hearts, and I'm going to challenge in this last little bit. If not, I hope God doesn't let you sleep tonight if you don't recognize that. I hope God lets you lay in bed and you toss and turn and you cannot sleep. I hope you have no sleep until you break spiritually and God gives you the understanding of your desperate need to be reconciled, restored, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I say that because I love you. And I say that to the people watching online tonight. You reach out to me or reach out to a pastor if you get to that point and let them share the greatest love story in the history of all mankind and the beauty of understanding that point, that beautiful position that God brings us to at that moment that we can then confess with our mouth, believe with our heart, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be restored in fellowship through salvation. My prayer for that is for all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. The beauty of your word, God, the, the picture, the typology, Lord, of the Passover, Father, and the beauty of the blood on the doorposts and how that is such a beautiful picture of Jesus and what he did ultimately for us on the cross. God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you are imparting to us, all that you're teaching us. God, let us ever be mindful, Lord, of the treasure we have and we hold. Lord, I pray during this invitation tonight, if there's ones that are not doing what they should or doing what they should not, that tonight will be the, the drawing of that line in the sand, Father, and they will go from that place of disobedience to the place of obedience, and it happens through repentance. Lord, if there's someone here watching online that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they've convinced themselves, and then tonight the cover has been taken off, the fact that they're not a true follower. I pray tonight would be the night that they recognize that, and tonight experience the freedom of coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ and that gift of salvation. Father, thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for us. God, all you're doing. Father, thank you for these ones as we boldly are praying for them, going into your presence. God, we know that your spirit can, can transform, can convict, and bring those to salvation. And Lord, we trust that that is what you will do. 
We know that is the number one thing with you, Father. You care about people, Lord. You care about salvation. Your desire is that none should perish, Lord. And we claim that tonight. Father, we just praise you. We thank you. We love you. And we ask all this in the mighty name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.